Well, the snow is about to start flying here this time of year, and if you're anything like me, that means time to hang the bikes, pack up the jean shorts, and clean up the yard for the long winter hibernation. Fortunately, there is relief from dreary winter woes. Paper Blossoms by Mikkel are always in season. Paper Blossoms by Mikkel are custom arrangements handmade to order any time of year. Each bouquet is unique, competitively priced, and best of all, no green thumb required. If you're looking for that original gift for someone special or something to brighten the living room, check them out at Facebook at facebook.com slash paperblossomsbymikkel. That's paperblossomsbymikkel, M-I-C-H-A-L. And remember, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. That's right, Paul. And if you're interested in winning a free bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by Mikkel, then we have an amazing contest for you. Beginning on December 17th, go to iTunes to Dating Ourselves Podcast and give us a five-star review and leave us some nice words. Once you do that, you'll automatically be entered into the contest. On January 17th, we will pick three winners out of a hat, and those winners will each receive a custom-made bouquet of flowers from Paper Blossoms by Mikkel. And let me tell you, as an 80s, 90s, or early 2000s fan, the opportunity to win one of these three bouquets will be amazing. So again, to enter the contest, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you'd like to order your own Paper Blossom by Mikkel, visit facebook.com slash paperblossomsbymikkel. That's M-I-C-H-A-L. This is Dating Ourselves, the show that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Paul and Brian. Hey, guys. Hi. Hope you've enjoyed this crazy ride so far. This is episode four, A New Hope, for more episodes. Wait, (laughs) this isn't Star Wars at all. (laughs) Oh, why is this not Star Wars? Sadly, it's not. But Dating Ourselves is almost as good. Uh, for those joining us for the first time, the three of us choose an 80s, 90s, or early 2000 pop culture topic from four randomly selected suggestions from listeners like you. Uh, we are now in our normal rotation, so we will be releasing episodes every Thursday, so please be on the lookout and like and subscribe. Yes. So we've uh, covered topics ranging from The Simpsons to the 80s action film Highlander. Uh, last week we talked about AOL Instant Messenger the WWF superstar, The Ultimate Warrior, an 80s classic coming-of-age movie, Stand By Me. At the end of each episode, we select the topics we will discuss next week. Sadly, due to me mishearing some options last week, I may or may not have missed a topic. What did you think we said? Yeah, what exactly happened, Adam? Yeah. Okay, so last week, Brian went to the hopper of imagination... And he at picked the topic. <laughs> at pending, yes. uh, as he was uh, reading off the first topic, there was a glitch in the audio in my headphones. So all I caught was about the last half of what he was saying. And in my brain, it came out as Mad Men, the animated <laughs> series, which I was very confused about, which is why there was a very long, awkward pause on my end. 
Instead of uh, picking it, one of your favorite topics. Um, it, instead of picking Batman the Animated Series, which happens to be one of my favorite cartoons growing up. I would so, watch yeah. Madman the Animated Series, though. Oh, I definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what Man- Madman the Animated Series would look like. I say that's a new change.org petition we start. <laughs> Quiet, kids. Daddy's watching his cartoon. that's what you were saying paul you were surprised nobody was fighting you tooth and nail for this topic um and it was because adam thought it was mad men the animated series (laughs) (laughs) so exactly so I, I couldn't believe that no one was screaming up and down, especially with the 25th anniversary of Batman or Batman, the animated series. So out of the goodness of my heart, I have decided to invoke what I'm going to call nostalgia combat. Nostalgia combat! With a Thank K. <laughs> with a K. So if Adam can answer the following trivia question, then I will relinquish all rights to the topic of Batman the Animated Series and succumb to the hell that is Uno the board game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate the opportunity here, Paul, and I will try not to mess this up uh, for everyone out there listening. Okay, so in Batman the Animated Series, one of my favorite villains was the character Clayface. Clayface um, was voiced by Ron Perlman, and the character name was Matthew Hagen, who was an actor who was disfigured, and he was approached with a compound that could restore his looks. So he ended up uh, overdosing on the compound, and I won't go too far into the storyline, but the compound turned him into Clayface, and from his Clayface, he could shape himself into any person for a small period of time and mimic them. What was the name of the compound that transformed Matthew Hagen into Clayface? Oh my god, this is legitimately... (laughs) So I recently got the Batman the Animated Series collection and this is legitimately the last episode i watched but i cannot remember (laughs) i cannot remember the name of the compound for the life of me i was really hoping you were going to ask like who did he mimic in the episode but i do not remember the name of the compound for the life of me so the name of the compound was renew new What a great name for a compound. Sorry, sorry. Renew you, but they spelled it renew new, but they pronounced it renew you. Oh, gosh. Oh, all right. Well, Well, you did not test your might there for uh, for nostalgic combat. (laughs) Cue sad, sad, like, death music from (laughs) (laughs) SNES. Can we get some sad Hulk music? (laughs) Sad yes, I will. Sad. I will be leaving. I will be leaving. I've been voted off the series uh, because of that. I will now be walking sadly away while the Hulk music plays. All right. So now that that is settled once and for all, I will be leading a discussion on the Sega Genesis platform game Kid Chameleon. Paul will cover the topic Batman the Animated Series, and we're going to start off with our buddy Adam here, who's really excited to talk to us about the card game Uno. You guys are going to have to give me a minute. I'm still trying to collect myself after that. <laughs> so, so, uh, there can anyway. only be one. There can only be Uno. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as Brian mentioned, I have 
the uh, card game Uno. Now, Uno actually was not invented or created in the 1990s. Uh, it was created in the 1970s. However, uh, the reason it became so popular in the 90s is because that's when the game company Mattel acquired the game Uno. Oh. And for those of you who have never played it before, it's essentially a Mattel version of the card game Crazy 8. And so if, uh, if you've played the game before, you know that you have these cards with numbers on them. And they're different uh, colors, too. Different colors, yeah. yes. Uh, they're, they're all different colors, and the idea is that you have to get rid of all the cards in your hand to win Uno. Uh, but there's various rules, like you can only, uh, sometimes you can only match colors of the cards, sometimes you have to match the numbers in uh, sequential order, uh, sometimes you can have wild cards or whatever, but the object is, through those rules, you have to get rid of all the cards in your hand in order to be the Highlander, or the one. That gets rid of all their cards. The Uno. Uno. <laughs> there can only be Uno. So, did the original game have all the crazy rules, like the skip turn cards or uh, um, the famous you know, wild card? I I think they did, but I haven't been able to really find a lot of information. It was it was like a game that was created by a guy in like West Virginia or Virginia, something like that. And I think it was, I don't think it was like a nationally known product or anything like that before, so I couldn't find a ton of information on it, but from what it sounds like, that it had a lot of that stuff uh, as well. I don't think Mattel really changed it up all that much uh, when they actually bought the product. They just kind of made it, you know, very vibrant looking and stuff like that. Right, so right, right. You know, got people's attention and stuff. So I always assumed it was just a cash grab to uh, commercialize Crazy Eights to oh, you know, make kids buy another product. Well, make absolutely. kids' parents buy another product. Yeah, because you could definitely play it with a standard deck of cards or maybe two standard decks of cards thrown together. You didn't necessarily need to buy Uno, but that made it that made it fun. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. I guess. I never played with any of those crazy rules. I mean, yeah, there was like the draw twos and the skip cards and the reverse cards, so you would change oh. the direction that it was going. Yeah. Um, the but- reverse card was like the worst thing you could do, especially if you had like reverse and something else. It was like the worst thing you could do to somebody. Yeah, because that was a, that was tough, especially well if you were playing with only one other person, it was a real pain because it would just reverse back to them. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you were playing with like ten people, it's like, well, I had this card to play, and now I can't play anything because I have to go through all those nine people again. Yep. But I don't remember ever playing with the rules like having sequential orders or having only certain things you can play. I think at least for the the standard Brian appropriate version of the game. Um, was that you would match either colors. So if it was a blue card, like let's say it was a blue eight, it had to either be a blue card of any number or it had to be an eight of any color. Okay. But I know the different... I might have been taught wrong. That's very possible. Because <laughs> that almost sounds like phase 10, what you're describing. Um, yeah. But but it, I don't know. That, that could have definitely been an aspect of Uno that I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with. I know that um, in my adult days... As people who have visited our website might gather, I am a big craft beer fan, and a lot of times going to breweries with some of my uh, some of my dudes, we uh, will bring an Uno deck, and it's a really great way to kind of 
have something to do and it gets people involved that uh you know are sitting nearby you and you kind of make new friends and stuff that way because it's a game that for the most part is pretty easy to pick up the premise it's it's not like trying to teach somebody how to play like risk or something (laughs) like that um (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that uh yeah that's uh I don't know. Those are kind of my takeaways on on Uno. Did you guys have any uh, any thoughts about Uno? So when you guys were growing up and you had, you know, family game night or you played it with your friends and parents, were you the passive player that was like, well, I guess this is what we're doing? Or were you the people that had to, you know, like, I'm going to win this and it's going to happen now? (laughs) (laughs) See, uh, me, me and my family never really played Uno. I don't think I even learned about what Uno was until I uh, started attending elementary school with you guys once I moved to elementary schools. And uh, I, I want to say it was a friend of the show, and actually I believe one of your relatives, Paul, that uh, <laughs> taught me how to play Uno at uh, lunch one day. And so like I remember playing it kind of off and on at lunch uh, in elementary school. Outside of that, I don't really remember playing it all that often. Well, that same relative that you're speaking of, we used to play Crazy 8 with an Italian playing card deck. So I I don't remember actually switching to Uno, but yeah, that was like a big family thing. And the main reason that we played it is with that side of my family, not everyone spoke English well. Mm. And, you know, because it was a mix of English, Italian, and then whatever grandma said. So we would play Crazy Eights because there's no explaining to it. It's a pattern matching game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's why I asked, like, what type of players you guys had. Because in my family, it would get uber competitive. Um, (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever met my, my younger brother. Um, he's, he's, uh, at time of air, this is, uh, he's 29 now, but when he was like six or seven years old, he had to win everything. It was kind of like Big Daddy, that that I win game. Everything he had to win. <laughs> and if you won or like my parents won or anyone else won, there was always some reason like, oh, well, you know, you uh, had more blue cards than I did. And that's not fair. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the sun was in my I could, eyes. Uh, <laughs> I, I could definitely see that. Brian's brother uh, is definitely like very much a perfectionist. Like he's very, you know, like anal retentive when it comes to like getting things done. And uh, I could definitely see that transferring over to like him being very competitive as well. Yes, yes, and <laughs> quite competitive. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So, um, and then in terms of Uno, uh, there was also a, an Uno that had like dice. I remember, and I'm trying to remember what the rules were. But there was something where oh, I'd have to look it up. Um, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a lot of work. Effort. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, yeah. So Uno was was a, a game that we we played quite a bit growing up, and then like I said, we kind of stopped playing for a long time until we started going to to breweries and stuff on weekends, and and that's kind of what revitalized the game in my mind. But yeah, there's definitely been some. Some uh, 
some heated exchanges during Uno. Um, <laughs> so how does it come? How does it become a bar game? Was that something the designated driver brought along? Because he's like, when these guys are smashed, this is going to be funny. Or was basically, it, um... yeah, basically. Uh, so well, it's it's kind of it's kind of the entertainment for the for the DD, but it's also um, a great way to kind of break the ice. Although I suppose we could bring "Don't Break the Ice" to the bar. That that might work too. Um, <laughs> but, I've sworn off that game for the time being. Uh, brief, brief tangent. Paul had a bad experience yeah, with that game recently. Yeah, brief tangent. But, but Paul uh, found a piece of that game in a location uh, within his kitchen that it probably should not have been in. I don't know if you want to fill in the details yeah, for our listeners, Paul. So earlier this week, suddenly the water started uh, draining out of the kitchen sink uh, very slowly, and the garbage disposal was completely bound up, but I could see no visible clog, so I had to tear the whole thing apart. And when I got it apart... As soon as I dropped the garbage disposal from the drain, sticking out of the garbage disposal, claw, or stuck in the gears, was a don't break the ice hammer. <laughs> I have not discovered which of my children was, you know, trying to break ice over the sink, but I assure you it will be dealt with in the appropriate manner when I do. <laughs> That's... Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's definitely where you want a hammer to be showing up as in your garbage disposal. The sad part is that it was immediately identified. Like, there was no question of like, what is this object? It was like, this is the don't break the ice. <laughs> so then I immediately started looking from spaghetti from Yeti spaghetti. And no dice. There, You know, because I could see spaghetti going down the garbage disposal. I have no idea what you were trying to break with a don't break the ice hammer. Well, I'm almost wondering if it was used as a declogger and then somehow got lost in the process. See, that, that, answer, that brings up more scary questions as to what my kids were doing with the garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Were they well, disposing of the evidence? <laughs> maybe, maybe. They watch a lot of YouTube. It could have been a will it blend scenario. <laughs> will it dispose? <laughs> well, um, kind of bringing it back to Uno. So the idea of the game, like, like Adam mentioned, is that you have, I think it's like seven or ten cards or something like that that you get dealt at the beginning. And every time it goes around, different people have different rules. Um, so you either... Like I said before, if it's a blue eight that's laying in front of you, you can lay any blue card of any number, or you can lay an eight of any color, or there's a few wild cards in the deck as well, which allows you to change it to any color that you choose. However, if you didn't have the card in hand, what were you guys' rules? What, what happened if you didn't have the card that you needed in order to proceed? We made them draw until they got a card they could play. See, you guys were you guys were sick. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what when I whenever I played, I'm pretty sure that's what we did too. It's been so long since I've played, though I don't remember off the top of my head. But that sounds really familiar because I've played oh, yeah. that I'd shuffle way. and you'd have to eat that deck. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, we've we've played that way, and I think it's all from the same mutual friend and or cousin of of Paul's. Um, yes. <laughs> that I learned that way too. And then when we started playing it as adults, it's like, no, you just draw one card. And if you don't get it, then you pass your turn and the next person goes. And it's like, oh, well, that's <laughs> that uh... makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah. As, uh, as George Costanza would say, we live in a society. 
<laughs> so we live in a society, you know. So uh, I don't know. That that sounds like a communist way to play. And that it shouldn't be the same for everybody. If you're if you got a screwed hand, you got to play it to the end. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's part of the uh, the allure, I suppose, is everyone kind of has their own different house rules. Um, so you never really mm-hmm. know what's going to happen. Because I've also played where, like, let's say there's a blue eight down, and you have three eights in your hand. You can play all three of them at the same time. And other people I've played with, like, no, no, you can't do that. Like, uh, you, how do you think that works? Like, what, what is this? Like, this is like anarchy. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, I mean, it really is kind of similar, not in gameplay, but definitely in how everyone has their own rules and stuff like that. It's kind of like Euchre, which if you're not from the Midwest, yeah, uh, you basically have to be from like Michigan or Buffalo, basically, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe Wisconsin. I think they play it there too, but <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a card game that's really popular in Michigan and a, a few other small pockets of the United States. And that one, I feel like everyone kind of has their own rules on, too. You know, you just always, like, everyone's like, all right, what are the house rules for you? Like, how do you play this? Right, right. How do you spell this is another term, another <laughs> side conversation. Yes. Yeah. That's true. A, a capital U hyphen K-E-R. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Uber, but... <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's you and then Kerr? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's Spend like some Uber, time but above more the table bridge, talk. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, oh, Adam, did you have anything else you wanted to uh, enlighten us regarding the Uno? No, no. I think that's uh, pretty much it. I, I mean, I don't know how much else we can really talk about the uh, the card game Uno. I so, guess I guess uh, the last the last bit about it is that um, <laughs> now that we're at the very end of it, in order to win. Um, and this is a way that you could get screwed too, and different people had different rules about this, is that when you only had one card left in your hand, you were supposed to call Uno. And if you didn't and someone else called Uno on you, then you had to draw three more cards or four more cards oh, yeah. or something like that. So um, It's a good way to end a friendship right there. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. It was uh, it was kind of like Jumanji in a way, you know, shouting it out. <laughs> or Jenga, you know, but, uh, but a little different. Uh, or Yahtzee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All games that we've all played and have never read a rule book for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Paul, any last things to add about Uno? No, I think we've pretty much uh, beat it to death. I, I think you're right. So um, now we're going to jump into our next topic. So we're going to send it over to Brian, who is going to talk to us about the Sega Genesis platform game, Kid Chameleon. Brian, take it away. Thank you, Adam. Kid Chameleon was a very, very popular game when it came out uh, and just hasn't really had the staying power of a game like like Sonic the Hedgehog did or uh, Toe Jam and Earl or some of the other more iconic <laughs> Sega Genesis games. But at the time, it was extremely popular. Um, so, as I mentioned, it was released on the Sega Genesis and it was only released for Sega. There's been some re-releases in the last 10 or 15 years for PC and Xbox and stuff like that. But... At the time, during uh, 1992 when it was released, it was only available on the Sega Genesis. The premise of the game kind of reminds me of Nick Arcade, that there was a, a video game <laughs> that you could uh, actually go inside of and play. And all the kids were really thrilled with it, but the game was so realistic that the boss actually broke the fourth wall and starts uh, kidnapping players. And so the best player in town, this denim jacket wearing, sunglass honed, Kid the 90s Kid epitome of cool. 
Yes, yes. yes. Got his hands in his pockets, but not all the way in his pockets, kind of slouched against a brick wall. That's our that's our hero, our conquering hey, hero. I just Kid read Chameleon. the outsiders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so Kid Chameleon must beat the game and the boss, whose name was Heady Metal, which is awesome, uh, <laughs> in order to free all of the kidnapped players. And Heady Metal, um, I don't know if I've ever actually gotten to that point in the game, but he was like a giant uh, floating tower of heads, and they were all kind of like the very strange, like... I'm looking at a picture of them right now. They almost look kind of like a mix of what you'd expect like an alien to look like. And an ancient Aztec or, or Mayan or something like that. It, it's very strange. They have like these big golden earrings in their ears. And then they have these floating heads on top of a vertical spear. So like the spearhead is facing downwards. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a very interesting game. Um, and that's the main premise is to beat the boss, just like it is with most of the platform type games. But what made the game kind of unique is that Kid Chameleon himself didn't really have many abilities. He could basically jump on top of foes and and kill them that way. But there were lots of masks that he could pick up throughout gameplay to then gain different powers. And so kind of kind of reminiscent of Jim Carrey, I suppose. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) so as Kid Chameleon, he was just a normal dude wearing a denim jacket, but he could pick up like a knight helmet and become this iron knight, which he could then scale walls and stuff. I'm looking at the picture of him right now, and the basically the best way I can describe this knight helmet that he's referring to is imagine like a crusader's helmet, but it's got like a electric visor, kind of like Data from Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like... um. Uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, the Black Knight. It's like that kind of square yes. shape, but then it has like a Daft Punk visor to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and then there's the Red Stealth. He was a samurai, could use a sword. Uh, there was the Berserker where he could ram through walls. There was all sorts of different, I think there was one where he could become a tank. Uh, Wasn't there a hockey mask too? Oh yeah, yeah. So you get like the Jason Voorhees like axe throwing and stuff. Um <laughs> And all of these different things, uh, what made it really interesting is that certain aspects of the mass, so you would have different powers, different weapons, um, but you'd also have have different amount of hit points with each one too. So certain ones was like, oh, you only have two or three hit points, where some like you have five or six. And so kind of a really interesting strategy to the game. The game was insanely long and it was built on these teleporters which they don't really do a great job of explaining how to use them how they work but these teleporters could send you to different points within the same level they could send you to different levels entirely or they could send you to different unknown areas altogether <laughs> called <laughs> called elsewhere um so almost like the ultimate the warriors parts unknown yeah exactly <laughs> so this wasn't like mario where you get the flute and you knew exactly which world you were going to so in in some ways you could go through what they call the main path or the main track of the game and for the most part experience it the way that it had kind of been intended, but there were many, many ways that if you went through the game in a different path, you would experience it completely differently and you would get different 
masks and different things like that. And if you didn't die, that mask would carry over into the next level. So you might start a level with a certain set of abilities that you would otherwise never have had had you gone through the normal path of the game. Nice. There's a lot of other really tricky things. And I guess that's kind of true for most games from like the late 80s, early 90s and these side scroller kind of platform games. Like I was playing it the other night because I have one of those Sega emulators I got from Bed Bath & Beyond a few Christmases ago. And there's a section where you have like the power boxes like you do in Mario, like you jump from the bottom and you hit it and like the little uh, little fire flower comes out and stuff like that. And that's how you Mm -hmm. get your powers and stuff like that. But there are certain sections where you have to jump on top of that and not destroy that in order to hit something else above it, which will open a door in order for you to get through. Otherwise, you fall into a giant pit and you can't get back out of it. And it's like, huh, this is uh, crazy. And then, like I mentioned, there's different abilities with each of the masks and different amounts of hit points. And once you use up those hit points, you lose that mask and you just become Kid Chameleon again. Well, if you're in a section where you need to scale a wall and you were the knight and then you lost the knight and now you're back to Kid Chameleon, you are now stuck (laughs) Uh, until you either quit or the time runs out or one of your foes kills you there was a lot of really really challenging aspects to the game so do you guys remember the game at all or have any uh any vivid memories or anything like that i remember the cover and that's about it yeah i don't think i I ever actually played the game so the one like the one thing that I feel that is a lost art in that Genesis or Sega in general did better than anything else is they produced some really epic cover art. Oh and yeah. And the cover for Kid Chameleon, I mean it has all of the like avatars of the helmets in the background. It's got Kid Chameleon on like uh on like a track in the beginning. It looks almost like Back to the Future meets Turtles meets Battletoads. Yeah, definitely. It, it yeah, would be an I, epic metal cover. I agree. I agree. And <laughs> yeah. you got, you know, there's so many different distinct masks. And there's a lot of them we didn't even talk about. Like there's one that's kind of like a silver surfer esque. I don't know if it's a hoverboard or what it is, but you can kind of slide around on this board and it jumps around and stuff. He kind of looks like uh, uh, the kid from Rocket Power with that mask. <laughs> it's a it's a very interesting game, and in playing it over the last couple of days. I got a very, very um, real reality check that video games were so much harder back then than they are now. I was just going to ask you about that. Is playing it with 2017 eyes, I, or, I, I found going back and playing any old video game, it's almost torture compared to current games. Yeah, because, I mean, you had, I think, a max of three lives, and I, I want to say, like, like in Sonic the Hedgehog, you started with three lives. And if you got 100 rings, which is pretty easy to do in almost any level, especially if you learned the map, you know, you would get another life. Um, where this, I think it's like something like you have to get like 50,000 points in order to get another life. It's, uh, it's so really intense. So on a scale intense. of Sonic to Dragon's Lair, how difficult is this game? I think the most difficult aspects of it are that, one you don't you there's certain things you can't do if you end up losing the mask that you need to complete that task so like so you're almost stuck in the the level if you lose it right so like if you need the berserker mask in order to break through a wall and you don't have it anymore and now you're like the the samurai mask you're shit out of luck like there's nothing you can do i think the other really difficult thing about it is because it was 103 levels 
and only about half of oh, them were actually God. yeah only half of them were on the actual main path so some of them are just like completely <laughs> in esoteric space uh <laughs> there was no saving feature because this was 1992 there's no such thing as memory cards or there was definitely not space on a cartridge to save your gameplay um, Did you have the password option to get back to a previous level, or is that? I'm glad you asked. No, you don't. <laughs> you do not get a <laughs> oh password gosh. option. So you really had to play through the whole game. And I've seen speed runs where people get through in about 30 minutes or so. But I think the average Holy amount crap. of gameplay, if you're a very, very skilled, experienced kid chameleon veteran, it still takes like several hours to beat. It wow. makes it makes Sonic the Hedgehog 2 seem like. Like ski free. <laughs> <laughs> I've never got past that Yeti either. I don't know if you can, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it's probably a good eight on the difficulty scale. It it is very very hard, and it's not difficult in like that contra way where it's just a million guys are shooting at you in order for you to throw more quarters into a machine. It, it's very difficult yeah. in like kind of that puzzle way. Like you have specific skills with specific masks that they're required to complete a certain task. And if you don't have that particular lineup just right, you basically lose a life and you have to start the level over. Yeah. So, so a lot of strategy based. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, I, there's a lot of spots that I couldn't figure out and I would have to like download a PDF of the instruction manual from 1992. How did you do that in the 90s? You'd have to have the the manual, like the manual that came with the book, <laughs> or with, excuse me, came with the book, came with the uh, came with the game. Otherwise, yeah, you just have to figure it out. And I don't know, maybe it's just because it's been a long time since I've played those old like the Lion King video game or uh, some of those other really really challenging video games. Surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. the Lion King is way more challenging than it ought to have been. It's uh, it was it's really hard. Um, I've not gotten anywhere near beating it. I actually looked up the list of levels, and I thought I was pretty far into it because i was like in the third or fourth world but there's like kind of like in sonic where there's multiple acts per zone so there's multiple levels per world but then there's multiple worlds per episode and i think there's three or four episodes so i wasn't even like 15 percent of the way through the game i was like oh my god this is gonna be a time commitment (laughs) and now i'm kind of hooked now i'm like actually probably gonna have to go back and keep playing (laughs) you're gonna start a twitch channel so that we can all watch you i'm gonna start a twitch for sure (laughs) from lack of sleep and caffeine but uh But, uh, Any anyway. notable cheats or ways to bypass it or make it easier? I never really had a Genesis until it was passe, so was there a Game Shark equivalent to the Genesis? Well, back in the day, Game Genie was, was the big one. Oh, so, yeah. And I never had one. There was a neighbor kid that did, and I remember using codes for different games like Cyborg Justice and Chican the Forever Man and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know if I've ever used any cheats on Kid Chameleon, because I feel like it was a video game that I rented maybe two or three times from Blockbuster Max, and haven't played until <laughs> 2017. Like it, it's been it's been probably 20 years since I played the game, and it, so it has not gotten any easier. At home, <laughs> yeah, yes. If ahead. we wanted to play a video game and we didn't have money, we would have to beg our parents to take us to a physical store, and we would exchange currency for a <laughs> copy of the game that we could borrow for two to three days. Yeah. <laughs> or when Blockbuster was really generous, you could borrow it for what seven days, I think was when they maxed out. Yeah, which that was sounds awesome. right. Because that was actually enough time to like 
legitimately play a video game, two to three days was like you get a taste of it, and then you either got to buy it or keep renting it until you finish it. Yeah, I definitely remember at Blockbuster they would rent out uh, consoles as well, which yeah, yep. um, wasn't cheap by any means, but you know, for a weekend, like if you were going to have like a sleepover and you didn't own a PlayStation or something like that, you still were playing the old Sega Genesis, you could rent a PlayStation for, you know, three or four days um, and two or three games. And that was, that was amazing. That, that was really great entertainment. Yeah. And actually it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really super expensive to do so. Really what the biggest charge was, was the deposit that you had to put down on it in case you got a little rambunctious and broke the machine or something. But other than that, I don't remember it being super expensive. Like, may, I mean, maybe it was like 50 bucks or 60 bucks, which is, you know, significant. But uh, most of the charge, I think you had to pay like 100 bucks or whatever uh, for a deposit on that. And that Damn. was really kind of the big charge for it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I rented a VCR a couple times. I've never rented a console. Was it like, when you got it, was it like, beat to hell and left with the fung of previous five-year-olds or did they do a pretty good job cleaning them out yeah the uh i only i only remember doing it once with the i think i rented the playstation uh the the original playstation once and i remember it being in really good condition like it certainly was not beat to crap and had like uh, you know, an Eggo waffle stuck in the disc tray or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it actually was uh, pretty decent. I think I also, uh, now that I think about it, I might have actually, I can't remember if I rented this or just played like a demonstration of it, but I remember playing the, oh gosh, now I'm blanking out on the name of it. It was the, like, essentially the, the Virtual Boy, the Nintendo oh, yeah. Virtual Boy, <laughs> which which is like one of the worst Yes. video ga- uh, game systems of all time because the concept was awesome but everything was in this like bright red make like, your eyes bleed Max <laughs> yeah, graphics yeah seriously it hurts so bad to play that stupid system and i remember playing like i think it was mario tennis on it or something like that and it was really cool to play like that but you could only do it for about five minutes before you started <laughs> bleeding from every orifice of your head well, I thought it was but really... Mario Tennis and Mario Golf made their debuts on that console, I yes, believe. Yes, they did. And Mario Golf, I would have loved to have played on there. Mario's Tennis was really fun, I remember. But yep. Mario Golf would have been a lot of fun on that system. Golf was terrible. You could barely see the hole because of the color. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I guess I, I guess that makes sense. That's unfortunate, though. <laughs> now, there is a... Like, going back to, like, the mid to late 90s and even into the early 2000s, like, nowadays... Um, for our younger listeners, I mean, the, the main consoles that are on the market are, you know, you got something from Nintendo, something from Sony, something from Microsoft, and that's about it. Yep. But back then, I, I remember we rented the Jaguar once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Atari. Yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, and Sega, you know, the, the Genesis was by far and away their most popular model, but they had the Saturn after that, and they had the Dreamcast. And I remember playing those at different people's houses 
and so few people had them. There was the 3DO yeah. for a while that was uh, kind of a big deal. That was the first time I ever played. Sonic. Yep. And I remember the Dreamcast kind of being a pretty big bust. Like, I don't remember why it was so bad, but I remember that being, like, a pretty big failure on the behalf of Sega. Yeah. Well, I'm sure all of these topics are definitely in the hopper of imagination, so I just kind of wanted <laughs> yeah. to kind of sprinkle these in just because we were talking about Blockbuster um, and renting consoles from, like, the mid to late 90s, but... Um, there's a, a really big topic looming here that uh, that I think deserves the justice. Its own episode. Yeah, the, the justice, <laughs> but, uh, no pun intended, but definitely intended. But before we skip over to that, though, I have one last thing to oh, offer yeah. up. Yeah. Kid Chameleon is available on the iOS App Store right now. You can go on and get the entire game on the iOS App Store. For the iPhone. You will want to plug in your iPad when you play it because you will <laughs> run the battery out entirely by the time you get halfway through. But that's really cool to know. I may have yeah. to try that out. I, I Where may do I or plug may in not my have controller? already downloaded it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess you you just do it on the screen with your fingers. I don't know how that works. but Yeah, I've, I've played a couple of the Sega emulators. They have like basically virtual joysticks that come up at the bottom of the screen. Um, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to play because there's no tactile response, so you don't know if you're on the like on the right spot on the joystick. But um, it's cer- it's certainly fun. Like it's certainly a good way to be able to play a Sega game without having to purchase an emulator or anything like that. Sure, sure. That sounds like my own personal hell to be able to <laughs> see an amazing game, but I have to touch the screen. I need a 13-year-old to show me how it works. <laughs> I was the last person to give up their BlackBerry, and I did so kicking and screaming because I missed the keyboard. I was going to say, it was pretty late for me before I got a smartphone, too. And I had like I didn't even have a BlackBerry. I had like a BlackBerry knockoff. It had the keyboard, <laughs> but it wasn't a BlackBerry. But yeah, I don't think I had a, an iPhone until, oh my gosh, like 2012 maybe? I think that sounds right. I remember you getting your first one. Gotcha. Now kids, get them when they're 12. Because <laughs> yeah, no uh, wasn't it right around the same time you moved uh, from Michigan that you got it? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, that January. Yeah. Right after Christmas. And then uh, we moved out, out to the D.C. area that July. That so yep. Present to myself. so paul you want to uh you want to show us all about gotham city in batman the animated series absolutely (laughs) all right (laughs) yeah so batman the animated series premiering in 1992 was the bruce tim take on batman and i think it set the tone for what batman is today absolutely I, i feel like previous to that point in our lives, our experience with Batman was the comic books, mm-hmm. the Adam West TV show, yep. and then the Hanna-Barbera shows that kind of took over where the original show took off. They were that brightly colored, over-campy version of Batman. They, they did have, uh, by the time Batman the Animated Series came out, at least Batman the movie from 89 yes. had been out too. I don't know if uh, Batman Returns was out or not. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember when the comic book came out. 
Oh, you know what? Batman Returns came out around the same time as Batman the Animated Series because there was a lot of production things where they were trying to make they were trying to make the look and feel similar. That's why Penguin had the duck boat that was featured in the movie with Danny yeah. DeVito and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because they were trying to emulate that feel in the TV show. But yeah, I think uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie kind of brought it back to a darker world and then Bruce Tim expanded on that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he kind of set that weird, you know, the two of them together kind of put that weird noir on it where it's got a very, like, 50s feel and the cars that they drive and the clothes that they wear, but then all the technology is modern. That's a great way I don't know if you ever noticed that. Because in the series, they always had people wore tweed suits on the street and everybody mm-hmm. had a hat. And Yeah, it's you very, know, but, like, 1920s, 1930s feeling. But, but yeah. then they used computers and had, you know, they had the Miami Vice style mobile phones. and Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of shadow play used in that as well. I remember there's yep. a lot of like red skies with black skylines. And then you would like see just Batman's like slivers, like just two slivered eyes in the mm-hmm. shadows. Like very, very iconic imagery. And it's so interesting to me that Batman for the longest time was kind of like the bang pow guy, you know, like <laughs> like the Adam Very West campy. series really like, yeah, and that, that carried over into Super Friends and the, the Batman mm-hmm. animated series is from like the 60s and 70s. So it's very interesting. Batman meets Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I yes. mean, he was like, <laughs> he was just like Aquaman, you know, like he had some gadgets and he fought crime and it wasn't until... You know the Tim Burton movie, and especially this animated series that they really Don't started you ever talking about Aquaman to Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most offensive statement you could possibly make. Yeah, yeah. I'll be wearing concrete shoes and meeting Aquaman personally. <laughs> <laughs> if Batman talks to a fish, it's because he invented new technology to do so in the Bat Cave, and it would be for the purpose of destroying something, not because he wanted to ask them what they had for dinner and how the currents are flowing. Right. Right. But I guess, I guess that's kind of like my, my thought was like in the original Super Friends with the Wonder Twins and all that stuff. Like he was very uh, happy-go-lucky. And it wasn't until this 90s animated series where um, they kind of reminded everyone the reason he became Batman is because his parents were killed. Mm-hmm. And Gotham is not a, you know, a place where there's like, oh, it happens to be a bank robbery. Oh, no. It's like, no, this whole city is is a cesspool full of crime. Yep. And uh yes. And, well, and what I what I loved about this show is some of these characters, the the characters, especially the villains, had been around in Batman lore for years. Uh, like your Scarface or uh, Scarface, Two Face. <laughs> well, Scarface uh, was a Batman villain. That's true, but yeah, Two Face and, and the Joker and Catwoman and uh, you know uh, the Penguin, all of these iconic people. But a lot of the villains, they actually went back and retold the origin story of these characters, yes. which I thought was so awesome because, like, I I was a big Batman fan, uh, still am. Like, he's my favorite superhero, hands down. And I loved the story. I loved kind of the dark mood that it had. Uh, but I loved that it reintroduced the origin stories of all of these characters and, and really kind of gave them new life like i feel like some of the characters by this time were a little played out in some of the other series and i feel like they really gave some of them new life 
even if it was something as simple as, and this is something that is just so iconic about the show, because without the show, this character legitimately would not exist. And that was to try and freshen up the Joker character a little bit. They introduced a female character that was with him, and we know her today as Harley Quinn. And that character came from Batman the Animated Series. Yep, she was uh, written into the show by Paul Dini. Um, she was voiced by a friend of his. Man, I can't remember her name. But she had that but, like she had that very like uh, East Coast accent, like kind of a yeah. Brooklyn accent. So the, what's kind of funny is you're talking about freshening up the Joker. So Tim Curry was actually originally cast as the Joker. Really, really. And they 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 added him for a couple of episodes, and the network censors thought it was too scary for a kids' cartoon. <laughs> I can see that, and I would love to hear that because in my head, Tim Curry, you know. Nothing about him to me sounds scary, per se. I mean, he's creepy with, you know, Pennywise and some of those characters, but he's still fun at the same time. I don't know if I would ever consider Pennywise as a fun character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got a charisma about him, though, that is upbeat to an extent. You know what I mean? Like, he's... I'm struggling to try and describe it, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. I get what you're saying, yeah. But he always kind of has that, like bit of a growl to his voice which i'm sure was what was scaring the children you know he he had kind of a lower register that he'd go to where he'd talk more like you know with that gruff or that growl in his voice and i could see that being a little scary for kids and that led to one of you know his failure as the joker led to one of the greatest casting for voice actors in my opinion of all time which Mm -hmm. is mark hamill as the joker yes for those of you who don't know who mark hamill is He's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know who Mark Hamill is and you don't know he's Luke Skywalker, you should probably just stop listening to the show right now. But yes, yes. Hey, 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 ignorance is okay. We have the opportunity to fix that now. It's called the I'm, internet. I'm sorry. You, can, you guys can stay. You guys can stay. We'll teach you all about the wonderful world of Mark Hamill. That's right. So but, one, one of my favorite yeah. characters from the animated series was the Man Bat. Yes. Oh, yeah. He was... Like kind of like a werewolf would turn into a bat instead of a wolf, and um... correct me if I'm wrong. That was episode one or two of the show. I know it was one of the first episodes that they introduced his character. Mm, I, that I could remember. be debated because they aired them on Fox out of order from what they were originally filmed. Because uh, a lot of the two-parters, they wouldn't show part one and part two back to back. They were oh, written so okay. that there would be episodes in between. So depending on if you're watching like the DVD version or the way it was aired on syndication, it could be completely different. That's really I gotcha. fascinating. I never knew that. I didn't either. Now, I knew that it was very, uh, very serialized, too, considering most cartoon series at the time were like Two Stupid Dogs and uh, yeah. you know things that were definitely not serialized, the Smurfs. So right. to have something that was so based on an overarching storyline, I thought was very, very unique. And I think that's what makes the show that much more watchable now is basically everything is serialized now. So it really feels like it's still modern, even though it was right. from... 20 or more years ago well what i liked about it is it was serialized but there were still stories contained within an overarching story so if you came in in the middle of it you would still enjoy it and you'd be able to pick up what was going on but you might not know some of the revelations that were happening behind the scenes sure sure yeah 
And I think that's a, a much nicer way to do it than The Walking Dead, where if you miss an episode, then you're completely lost and you might as well just stop and go back. You could really pick it up at any point in the series and continue forward from that point and still find enjoyment in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it, they just you really could enjoy it for so many different reasons, because, you know, Kevin Conroy, who is like the iconic Batman for uh, voice acting. He's First played... actor to use two voices, one distinct one for Bruce Wayne and one is Batman. Yeah. Much better than Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where Christian Bale was just talking kind of normally part of the time and then just like talking really gruff like this, like he had a really bad cold. Or, or or Ben Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? <laughs> so yeah, the safe uh, word is Martha. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, yeah. So like Kevin Conroy was iconic, and Kevin Conroy uh, voiced him during Batman the Animated Series, and really all the way up to uh, the the last time he voiced Batman, as far as I'm aware was the fairly recent, I think it came out about two years ago now, but the uh, Batman Arkham Knight game, which was the final game in the Arkham trilogy. And when did the killing joke come out? Because he did the voice in the killing joke movie. Oh, you're right. You're I'm sorry. And Mark Hamill did the Joker in the killing joke. That's right. Both of them agreed to come out of retirement from their respective characters to uh, voice both of those characters. So you're right, because I think The Killing Joke came out like maybe a year or two ago, but I'm pretty sure it came out after Arkham Knight came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely iconic character with uh, Batman, uh, with Kevin Conroy. You had, you know, Catwoman and the Joker and all of these great, like, traditional Batman characters, but you had so many other villains, too, that they brought in, like the Man-Bat and yep. Clayface, and uh, the... The Ventriloquist. Yeah. Um, Scarface, the little dummy Ventriloquist guy. Yeah, what about um, the Mad Hatter? Was, oh, uh, yeah. Was, was a great character from that, or... Well, Mr. Um, Freeze was a big one, too. Yeah. And then they yeah, ended up bringing the him... Mr. Freeze origin story from the show became canon when they did the Batman and Robin movie. That yes. was a completely new origin of Mr. Freeze, with his wife being sick and him being a researcher trying to freeze her till they could find a cure. That came from Batman the Animated Series and then made its way into canon for Batman. And that's still been canon to this day because that's how uh, they presented the origin story in the Arkham series and pretty much yep. any any series that they bring in Mr. Freeze, that's always his origin story now, which is so cool. Uh, and that's that- one of the great things of these characters. Like you mentioned the man. So even the minor villains all had great backstories where they became, you know, they were more than just the villain. They weren't always this way. Something happened to him. Like in the case of the man bat, he was a, he was a zoologist that was doing experimentation. And he accidentally infected himself and right. he knew he was this villain and he was trying to cure himself and he was trying to keep himself from society and he couldn't help what he was becoming. Yep. And that's true of every, even the minor characters, they had some sort of backstory that you could write a novel just on the one character. Yeah. Yeah, they really they really brought these characters to life. And, you know, that was what was so cool is they took these minor villains and gave them such a rich backstory in, in characterization that you couldn't help but just 
love these characters. Obviously, they were bad guys, but you you just got in enwrapped in their stories because they came up with such great backstories to these characters. It was awesome. And, and I think that type of writing and character development is something that is far more evident now in in television. I mean, the, the probably the most popular show on TV right now is Game of Thrones. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's very similar, like having kind of a mythology connected to every single character who's then connected to another, you know, sphere mm-hmm. of characters and having that type of history behind every single one of your protagonists and antagonists, I, I don't think was very common other than maybe like Tolkien until stuff like Batman, the animated series came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is a whole other topic in and of itself, but just the, just the, <laughs> just the comics in general um, of the 90s you know because most comics leading up to that were very much kind of the the pow bang type stuff but you had the all these different comics for spider-man and superman and all these revivals i I mean superman dies in the 90s you know Uh, (laughs) and then somehow comes back later but those type of things are just very interesting how deep they decide to dive and i i think that the you know i don't know if batman the animated series was necessarily the first to do it but I think they really showed that, like, wow, this can attract people on a network television station. This could probably kids work. Kids cartoon, yeah. no less. This could probably work oh, in absolutely. a lot of different mediums. Exactly, exactly. I know Bruce Tim has said that he would get, like, two, three pages of notes every time they produced an episode. That he would have to go back and amend the script or change things in post-production because it was just too dark. And they had to remove, you know, references and... Oh, I could see that. I mean, it was already a pretty dark show, and I could see that very easily tipping towards too dark at times, especially for... I mean, the show aired at, like, like pretty early in the morning. Like, I remember when I was in elementary school, when I started going to school with you guys, both my parents uh, also worked in education, and they had to be at school earlier than I did. And so uh, on the way to school, my mom would always drop me off at a family's uh, friend's house that lived in the same neighborhood as Paul. uh, They actually lived just down the street from Paul. And so I would always go to their house every morning, and I would always watch Batman the Animated Series and uh, the... Uh, Spider-Man animated series that came out right around the same Another time. Another great show. Yep. Oh, yep. absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that that's... Uh... <laughs> and sometimes Gargoyles. Gargoyles. That was on the too. one I was going to talk about is that Gargoyles was a big deal while I was getting ready for school every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure both of those are definitely topics in and of themselves <laughs> that would take oh, absolutely. a good deal of time to uh, to really... Discuss. But without Batman, none of those shows would have ever been presented no. the way no, not that at they all. were. Yeah, I agree. Well, especially the Spider-Man TV show. I guess not so much uh, Gargoyles, although they copied kind of that dark style and stuff like that. But Spider-Man yeah. definitely copied kind of the the out or the frame of Batman, the animated series, where they went into the origin stories of characters and. and uh, you know, it was very similar, except it was kind of the more lighthearted version of it because it wasn't as dark, uh, you know, visually or content-wise as Batman the Animated Series. Do you ever notice that in the intro to Batman, they never once had the uh, Batman the Animated Series uh yeah. text logo it was just the the like screen print of the batman eyes and the cape and never until it went to the wb and it became the new superman batman adventures they never actually had text it was just batman yep wow yep. the other thing uh real, real quick that i'll just mention 
uh, that was so great about Batman the Animated Series was the music. Uh, I was just, yeah, just going to mention that is that that intro song is incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, even as an adult. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and for uh, for a deep heavy metal cut here, there's a song by Dimu Borgir called uh, Progenies of the Great Apocalypse that has an intro that's very similar. Like it's got that very big orchestral kind of dissonant, like it just sounds like Gotham City. Like it it really (laughs) sets the scene for what that series is. Like the music was beyond anything else that any other animated series had at the time. Mm -hmm. And for it being all orchestral too, it was so good. Like everything was violins and flutes and stuff like that, but they made it work so well for the content of this show and, and the nature of the show. I agree. I also can't think of too many cartoon shows that had theatrical release movies during their run Mm -hmm. either. Because while it was still going on, Mask of the Phantasm actually came out in theaters and it was only a year into Batman that that came out. Right. And I think that's, was that the introduction of, no, Poison Ivy had been introduced, but she was, yeah. That was, spoiler. (laughs) That was was her first big, uh, like real big appearance though in any of the Batman series. And then I think shortly after that is when she was introduced on film played by Uma Thurman. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that still. Yeah. Not the movie overall, overall, but I really did think that Uma Thurman actually captured that kind of poison ivy feel but i think it it came from the cartoon i mean that's really where it stemmed from yeah oh absolutely so we've come to that special time where we visit the hopper of imagination and we find out (laughs) (laughs) and we find out what we will discuss next week and i just want to remind all of our listeners that if there is a topic that you'd like to hear you can submit those at our website www.datingourselvespodcast.com, much like Micah did last week. Yes, yes, we very much enjoyed talking about AIM, and we would love to talk about any topics that you bring to us. So so I'm going to give this thing a crank, if that's all right with you guys. Absolutely, um, let's do it. As a reminder for our listeners, there's going to be four topics selected, one at a time. We can all pass on one collectively, but I won't draw any more after four topics. So the first crossing my fingers for no audio glitches today, so I don't get <laughs> so I don't get Uno again. <laughs> so the first topic is X Files TV series one, two, three. I'm taking dibs on that. Oh my gosh, that was like a three way tie. I think Paul. You know what? I was gonna say I will relinquish it to you, Brian, because I know you are the X Files master. I didn't hear where Adam finished in the running there. I, I, I will, actually, I will, I, I will actually did not call dibs. dibs on that one. Just, oh, okay. Just gotcha. for the record, I did not call dibs. That was you. And- I, I, I will withdraw my drib, dibs. You can penalize me if you want. <laughs> All right, right. And someday, and that day may never come, you may call upon me for a service. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate this favor, Senor. Uh, <laughs> All right. So the next topic is. Rodent's Revenge video game. One, two, three. I'm gonna pass. pass. I've never heard of that game before. Me either. <laughs> I, I feel like it was one of those PC games where you had like a little mouse and you had to like go around like a maze or something. Well, I will mark it Who down. What a PC in the 90s. It might have been an early 2000s <laughs> game. I'll have to look it up. I'll have to look it up. Okay. I, I feel like it was a computer game like similar to like a 
like a it, snake type game or a... yeah it looks a little i've just looked it up the the screen for it looks very similar to minesweeper but different all right so oh, we'll... yeah we could talk for a half hour about minesweeper <laughs> oh for sure. <laughs> sad part is we probably could <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i wouldn't put it past us um <laughs> all right the next topic is mars attacks movie one two three Dibs. Dibs. I think Adam beat you out, Paul. <laughs> and Sorry, the, Paul. All right, so Adam's got Mars attacks. And the last topic we have is... Earth versus the Flying Saucers? <laughs> <laughs> that may predate our timeline a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but it ties into Mars attacks. I can make this work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Spawn Toys. One, two, Dibs. three. All right, great. So I can do sp- I can do Spawn. So specifically <laughs> the toy line, not the comics or the movie or the soundtrack with that kick-ass Judas Priest song. All right, great. I can still do this. Awesome. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Uh, I'll be chatting about X Files. Adam will be talking about Mars Attacks, and Paul will be talking about Spawn, the action figure line. Thank you so much for joining us on Dating Ourselves. That's our show. And if you like what you heard today, there's definitely more to come. Check us out at www.datingourselves.com to learn more about the show. And check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast.aol.com. You can also find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. And if you're on Instagram, you can find us at datingourselvespodcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dated. So long. See you guys. Thanks, guys. See ya.